We are privileged to have with us to present and teach during this time Bill Crawford and his family who are here from Germany. If you were in the first hour, I gave a brief uh, mention of that. But Bill and Debbie Crawford are missionaries to Germany, and their daughter Heather, their son-in-law Simon, and uh, Bill and Debbie's uh, grandson Noah are all here for the holiday uh, from, from Germany. And so we as a family have had a great time with them. And I say we as a family because uh, Bill and Debbie uh, are related to my, my wife's side. Bill is Kim's brother, and Chris Roberts' brother, and John Crawford's brother, and then mom and dad's son. So a lot of connections to our church. We've had a great time at uh, Thanksgiving, and particularly a great time because we have a family relationship, but we have the more important family relationship of being in the family of God and having camaraderie and ministry. And every time Bill and I get a chance to get together, we talk ministry issues, and we are of like mind with regard to the Lord's work and a zeal to see the Lord's work advanced. And so I'm very glad that they can be here both as family and as family. And the work that they're doing in Germany is in the city of Dresden. Bill's going to mention a bit about that and then uh, teach us uh, a lesson from God's Word. So I won't steal his thunder on that. But they're going on 12 years there, and they are leading a growing international uh, church there as well. And so carrying on a creditable work for the Lord in, in Germany. And so if you didn't have a chance to say hello to them during the Cafe Community Hour, then make sure you say hello to all four of them before you leave today, Bill and Debbie and Simon and, and Heather and, and their little one. So without further ado, we're going to have Bill come, present uh, what the Lord's doing in Germany through them, and then teach us God's Word. I want to thank uh, Pastor Ken for giving me an opportunity to to uh, give testimony and to present the work here. Um, yeah, Debbie and I have been in Germany now going on 12 years, and it's amazing what God is doing. Um, it's an international work, and uh, the church plan itself is five years old. They often ask me, or I'm often asked, uh, do you speak German? Uh, we speak German, but the work is done in English. We were trying to get into the country 12 years ago. When we got there, it was just a month before 9-11. So that was a quite um, difficult transition as we just get into the country and then 9-11 happens and we're concerned about things over here. We were trying to get established and uh, the doors just kept closing for us to start a German work and then the doors opened wide for us to start an international work. And I was telling Ken yesterday that over 42 to 45 nations have crossed through our threshold at our church. And on any given Sunday, we can have 10 to 17 nations represented at our church on any given Sunday. So it's a very um, colorful church. We have people from Africa and Asia and India, China, Europe, America. And we started, as I said, about five years ago with about 10 to 12 people. We're now averaging between 50 and 55. God is growing this work. We give God the glory for His church in Dresden. And um, I have some of the, my trusted guys from the seminary that are speaking for me while I'm gone. And so that gives me comfort to know they're preaching the gospel and the people have something they can trust. And uh, so that's basically what's, what's going on in Dresden. Uh, I really want to... Uh, get into the word today 
Um, we were just finishing missions months back in Dresden. We had a five weeks, kind of went over the month, got a little long-winded, had to get one more sermon in there. So it was really five weeks of missions month. And uh, this is going to be one of my messages. So I'm not trying to come down on you about giving. I know you're in a building program and all these things, but it just really has been something that has been on my heart and something that is, I think, essential for all of us to know in, in regards to giving. And one thing that I think is important is that the attitude in which you give is a direct result or reflection of your relationship or heart attitude with God. And we learned about heart attitude this morning. And I'm referring not just about money, but our time and our talent and our treasure that are all God's anyways. God's given us everything. He's given us our physical life. He's given those of us who are believers our spiritual life. And God has given us our finances. He's given us our time. And how are we using that which he has given us? If we have a wrong understanding of what God has given to us, it's going to affect us locally and globally. It's going to affect our giving locally of all this time, talent, treasure, and our giving globally. And we need to be really concerned about this. And that's why it's vitally important that everyone has a proper attitude about giving. And we're going to be looking today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about giving. Before I go there exactly, I wanted to reflect on something. Giving uh, to God was practiced long before even the law of Moses was implemented. Back in Genesis, Cain and Abel were giving to God, weren't they? But Cain gave with the wrong heart attitude. And Abel gave with the right heart attitude. And God liked that. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Let's look over there. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 4 says this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Cain gave the wrong, with the wrong heart attitude and Abel gave by faith. And we're going to learn about that today. We have many wonderful examples in the Bible about giving. Some good, some bad. But I think one of the best examples that we have is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the Macedonian church who gave. They're one of our greatest examples of, of giving that we find in the New Testament. And let's look now at the proper attitude in giving. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Flip over there real quick. verses 1 through 5 and it says and now brothers we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. 
Let's pray before we begin. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to, to speak the truth of the gospel and to speak hopefully and prayerfully to people with hearing ears. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would just open our eyes and ears to the truth today of what you want us to hear and guide my thoughts and words, Lord, that they would glorify your name and let this be a great time of learning together and growing in our faith walk. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning I want to look at six inspiring attitudes that we can learn from the Macedonian church. And we see that at the start that it wasn't, if it wasn't for the grace of God, they would not have done what they did. And that means they had a relationship with God. They, have a, they had a personal relationship with Him, and we know that this comes through repentance and faith. Kenny and I have been, as he said, we talk about these theological things, and, and um, so many people have that mixed up in our world today. They don't understand when you come to know Christ, it's through repentance and faith. And this repentance is that change of mind about who God is, and that changes your direction. And that faith, again, that only comes from God. That only comes from God. And when we look at it, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we come to God. And so, it all starts with a proper relationship with God and this means you must be His child in order for this kind of grace to be poured out upon you to be able to do the same thing that these people did. And the Bible was not just written so we could disconnect from it. I always tell the people back in Dresden, remember, although these people were living 2,000 years ago, we need to connect to them. Paul's not just talking to the Macedonians. He's talking to you and me. And so although directly in context he is speaking to them, he's talking to us 2,000 years later that, hey, you people here in Michigan, you people there in Dresden, you need to be like the Macedonians. So I'm going to give you an example of how they gave, how they gave to God. So how do they give? Well, number one, it starts in verse 2, says that they gave joyfully and generously. They gave joyfully and generously. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And this word for joy is charis, and it just means that. It means they gave with gladness and rejoicing and happiness. And again, now we have to reflect, do I give that way? Do I give that way? And I know times are tough, especially in Michigan, with jobs and stuff. But we need to ask ourselves, do I give with this joyful attitude? And generously, this word hap, haplotus is they gave with sincerity and generosity. They didn't hold back. And when we get to know really a little bit more about them, um, we're going to understand this is amazing. So most Christians will give when things are going good, Right? Things are going good, I'm going to give. I just talked to someone last week and they were telling me that they were going to get cutbacks in their jobs so that means their tithe is going out. I was like, what? I mean, that's the last thing we should talk about cutting out. But this is the mentality of people, even people who call themselves Christians. And so we usually give good when things are going good, but when times get tough, how does our attitude or how is our attitude? Does it stay constant? Is it the proper attitude? Is it the attitude of Abel or of Cain? How do we give? 
And for these Gentile believers, these Macedonians, um, who were going through severe persecution. Now, if you understand what they were going through, they, they lived in Macedonia, and they were under Roman rule. And as you probably have been taught by your pastor, these Romans were not nice people. And they did not like Christians. And so the Christians were persecuted. And they were not treated right. And they were being abused and sometimes even losing their jobs and being ostracized in their communities and being even imprisoned and sometimes even death. And yet, under these severe trials and testings, and we even see that right there in verse 2, out of the most severe trial, they gave with joy and generosity. The question, again, we have to ask ourselves just to reflect on is, when times are tough, how do I give? When times are tough, how do I give? The second thing that we see in them is they gave in spite of their circumstances. In spite of their circumstances. And again, here in verse 2, it says that they were extremely poor. It says they were in extreme poverty. Um, how poor is this? Well, the Greek translates this to be someone who is beggar poor. Someone who's at rock bottom. And the only thing that I can ever connect to this is, is Debbie and I took a trip, oh my, five or six years ago now to India. And we have a real love connection with India. We support our little church there running about 50 people. We, we started giving to missions immediately because we knew that this was important. And our little church supports about five works. And four of those works are in India. We took a trip over there five or six years ago. And when Debbie and I were there, we saw some of the deepest poverty we have ever seen in our lives. Not just someone living under the overpass. We saw places called Tent City that your pastor's been to India. He might have told you about these things. And these people living in these cardboard shanties, these shacks. And just literally thousands and thousands of people and as you're walking down the street, you're noticing uh, people lying on the street, sleeping in the street, and animals moving through the street. And we saw this poverty that we've never seen before. And when we came back, Debbie and I said, it was difficult for us to even go out to eat at a restaurant because these people were so poor and we have so much. And it was difficult to go to the mall and buy something for ourselves because we saw such deep poverty. And that's what these people were going through. And yet they were joyful and they were generous in their giving. That's amazing. But it goes back always to God's grace. To God's grace. We give God the glory for this. And so this is the kind of poverty Paul is describing here. And again, I would ask, as I look around, I don't see too many people who live that way. I see healthy Americans. Let's just put it that way. Healthy Americans. And um, you know what I'm saying? Healthy. Some of the bigger guys are going, talking about me? Um, but in Germany, they mock Americans because they eat so, because we, I, I'm an American, but I, of course, I'm undernourished. Um, we, it's not my wife's fault. I think it's a metabolism issue. I don't know. But um, the Germans like to make fun of Americans because they eat healthy and they walk everywhere and they ride bikes everywhere and they're real outdoorsy people. 
And so when they see all of our television shows about our healthy Americans, they harass me and ask me, why is this? I'm like, um, I don't know. No idea. McDonald's, I don't know. Then the, th the third thing that uh, they did is they gave by faith. They gave by faith. And, and so here we have these joyful, generous people giving in spite of their circumstances, giving by faith. It says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. And I've always asked myself, how does someone who is being persecuted, who is in deep poverty, give anything at all? How do they do that? And it's by faith. They gave by faith. In other words, they didn't just give what they could afford, but they gave beyond what they were able to give. Sometimes we tip God, don't we? We tip God on Sundays. And we need to be testing ourselves and giving beyond what we're able to give. And as God tells us in Malachi, and I know we're not under the tithe today, but we're still supposed to give. We're under this type of giving, this joyful, generous giving, no matter what the circumstance, and by faith giving, this kind of giving. But Malachi tells us that we are to stop robbing God, right? Stop robbing God and give what you're supposed to give. And then he says this, and test me. Test me. Put me to the test and see if I won't bless you. But that's the scary part, isn't it? To really trust what God is saying. And this is why I tell my young believers back in Germany, because we have a very young church. We, uh, they're probably, I don't know, between 21 to 35-ish. They're young, young Christians as well. And I say, okay, you've heard the truth. How does it apply? Where does it connect? Where, how does, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? This is what the Bible says. Now, how does it apply to real life? And this is what we need to do. We need to test God. God's telling us this. And you probably have heard pastor teach this. But are we applying it? Knowledge without application is worthless. You can gather all the knowledge under the sun and know all the Bible stories. And, and yes, Zedekiah and Hezekiah, and I know that guy, and he was the 14th king and the 17th, and you're like, but how do you apply all that? to your Are you applying it to your life? If not, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's just stored up knowledge because you're not applying it to your life. We need to be very, very careful with that. <clears throat> Debbie and I decided about 12 years ago that we were going to give this way. We heard a testimony of a couple that came to our sending church, which is North Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And they came up and began to tell us how they began to give. Not by what they had, but what they projected God or, or would like to have. And I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but I thought that was kind of a cool test of faith. And, and so we began to give, not with what we had, but what we would want God to give us. And we started doing that about 12 years ago and we've increased and increased and increased because God has allowed us and he's, 
He has grown us in our faith. And I'm not saying that to brag, but to say God is growing us. Even this last year when we came to Faith Promise, the first thought was in my mind, honestly, was I'm maxed out. I think I'm tapped out here. (laughs) And then I talked to my wife and she reminded me that you're not tapped out. So we always talk and say, what, what do you, you pray about what you think God wants us to give and I pray about what I think God wants us to give. And then we kind of come together and see if God's really speaking to us. Her number's always bigger than mine. I'm joking. We have the same number every time. And so we increased. Because God said, I want you to live by faith and not by what the bank account says. Because oftentimes we live by what our checkbook says and that's what our faith is really in if the checkbook says green light we go if the check light the checkbook says red light we stop and we stop living by faith and we live by our logic and my son-in-law is German <clears throat> he's very very logical and he gave testimony about oh, a couple weeks ago and he said we were asking what people were learning and he said I'm learning to stop living by logic and live and walk by faith and that's a blessing to hear that because everything that he's been taught must be logical and so he, it's, it's testing him and growing him and, and, and in fact um, we need to learn to, to give sacrificially and to live by faith. And that is the New Testament way. That's the New Testament way. I mean, the tithing would be easy. New Testament giving is, is this joyful, generous, no matter what the circumstance, by faith giving. By faith giving. And putting God to the test. And seeing if he won't just open the windows of heaven upon you. You're a child of God. The children of Israel were children of God. The believers were. So we're part of that family of God. So it's easy to talk about giving sacrificially, but we need to really examine our hearts. And the way to do that, I think, is when you go home today, open your checkbook and see where you give the most. Where do you give the most to? And you say, well, Pastor, I got bills. I understand. So do I. But where do you give the most and I was learning some things in, as I've been studying this as well. If the abundance of your giving goes to all your bills and your things and your needs, needs, my sister Chris is laughing at me, <clears throat> which really almost always are our wants, you know, the new iPad or iPod or PodPod or Mac this or Mac that. Anyhow, Oh, is it a real need? I think some of you probably need to take a trip to India. Really. You need to take a trip to India for about a month. Africa for about a month. And see these people living in deep poverty. And your whole view about life is going to change. But... You can be motivated to change and that lasts a little while. Or you can be inspired to change and that's from God and that lasts a lifetime. So I could motivate you today through cheering and doing backflips and doing all that stuff and that might say, wow, I want to be like that. 
But unless God motivates you and inspires you to do something, it'll be short-lived. It will be short-lived. So you want God to be inspiring you to have these same values as the Macedonians. And then the fourth thing we see here in their giving is they gave of their own free will. The last part of verse 3 says, entirely on their own. They gave entirely on their own. And this means that um, it was of their own free will and voluntarily given. They didn't give because of pressure or manipulation or intimidation by the pastor. They gave of their own free will. And the question, again, that each of us has to ask ourselves is, do I give willfully by faith or out of duty? Or maybe I give like the Pharisees so that I will be seen by others. Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4. Remember again, God is not interested in our sacrifice if it's done with the wrong heart attitude. Look at Psalms, Psalms chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. Verse 16 and 17 says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God's not impressed with our giving unless we give with the right heart attitude. God wants a broken people. And Pastor Ken talked about this meekness, this humility. God does not want an arrogant family. Paul said a couple times, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't just say, imitate me, look at me, I'm the man. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was always deflecting off of himself onto Christ. But that meant he had to be walking the walk that he was talking. And that's the tough part. Especially for pastors. I'm not going to go anywhere with that. (laughs) Our wives remind us of these sermons that we preach because we're at home with them. And then when it doesn't apply and they're going, remember the message? (laughs) And you're going, oh man. But it's a good reminder because we need to be reminded of of these things. So the they fourth thing is they gave of their own free will. And the fifth thing is they had a strong desire to give. They had a strong desire to give. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 4 it says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now, what service to the saints? They were wanting to give to poorer Believers than even they were in Jerusalem. So these Gentile believers were wanting to give to Jewish believers that had even greater needs than they had in Jerusalem. And they were urgently, urgently desiring to give or pleading. They were basically, in a nutshell, they were begging the apostles to give. Now, I'd have to ask the pastor, have you ever had anyone beg you to give? I haven't experienced that one yet either. 
They were begging him. And the apostles, I think, Apostle Paul was feeling kind of bad. Like, no, 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 it's okay. No, really, it's okay. And they're like, please let us give. Please don't rob us of this blessing. Please let us give. And this is, again, we have to ask ourselves, how do I give? Do I, do I beg to give? Do I desire to give? The closest example of this begging or this, this pleading to give that I have experienced is one young man that was in our church about a few months ago. His name is George, and he's from Romania. Now, we live in the former Eastern Bloc of Germany. So that means we were, our people were behind the Iron Curtain for 40 years. And they are different than the people in the west of Germany because I lived there as well. And before we moved up to the east, uh, the westerners said, don't go up there, those people are all nuts. And um, there's some truth to that. But now we're used to the people in the east and we really, those people are normal and the people in the west are strange. And so the mentality in the east is different. But, and they had it really rough. But if you go further east into Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic now in Slovakia, keep going further, 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 further into Romania, it's still really bad over there. Really bad. And George was raised in this environment under atheism. He's a top athlete. He was uh, training for the Olympics in the the canoe or we the boating you get on one knee those guys are on the the one knee thing he's just all he's a beast and uh, George is um, really a, a great kid but he comes in he was under the orthodox religion he thought he was a believer but after sitting under the gospel for several months he finally came to realize that he was lost and when this boy got saved, he was radically transformed like your pastor used that term and I like that because I use that too. When Christ saves you, you are radically transformed. And George was radically transformed. And George is like a psycho for Jesus. I mean, he's telling everybody, the bum on the street, he's in people's faces. I'm telling them to calm down, you know. And he's all the time telling someone about Jesus. He came back to Dresden... Uh, about a month or so ago and while he was in there we like to take care of him he's one of ours and so he stayed in the church in our apartment and we wanted to give him something to help him because he took this 27 hour bus ride to get to Dresden and so I give him some some cash to offset some of that you know the travel expenses and we had a great time of fellowship with him while I was there. And then he was gone after about, about five or so days. So I go down to the room where he was. And I find this letter. He, made it, he kind of made his own envelope. He took some paper and put my name on it. And I'm thinking, what's this? And I picked it up and I thought, this is kind of heavy. And I thought, I hope he didn't. And I open it up. And the money that I had given this boy, and he doesn't have money. He's poor. He gave back to me to give to the church because he knew that the orphans in India needed it. And he said, God has provided for me. 
I have all that I need. They need it more. And I thought, that's the closest I've come to a Macedonian in my life. But this young believer who says, please take this money, although I need it, but I want them to have it and God will bless it. And so George is a great example even to me as someone who is, has a strong desire to give to God because he knows what God's done for him. And his parents are atheists, brothers atheists. He was raised in a horribly abusive... I mean, God's just transformed this kid. So if you think of George, pray for him. Now, how does someone who is beggar, poor, and persecuted give like this? Well, the answer is found in verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they, they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's the answer. We already know they were believers because the grace of God would not have been upon them if they weren't believers, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. So these people were surrendering their self, themselves to God on a daily basis. And that's key for Christians. We have to daily surrender our hearts to God in order for us to have a heart like this. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul's begging. I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable under God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are the things that we need to be doing on a daily basis. Christ himself says, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself. Are you denying yourself? And doing that daily, taking up your cross daily and following after me. He's not just talking to the disciples then. He's talking to us today as well. And we need to deny ourselves in our wants and our supposed needs. And we need to think about the bigger picture, the eternal picture. Because our life is short. It's but a, va- but a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And even you young people, I was your age yesterday and now I'm bald. What's up with that? You know? And, and, and here's this, you just, it goes fast. It goes really fast. And, and, and you will be in eternity. And what have you done for Christ who gave you everything? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, that's why I said at the beginning of the message that the way that you and I give to others is a reflection of our relationship with God. It is. It reflects our true heart attitude. God wants us to first give ourselves to Him and then we can give ourselves to others. And again, I want you to understand, we can sit there and nod and say, yes, that's truth, that's truth. But is it just knowledge? Because now the test is going to come and God will test you. Will you apply this? Will you apply this to your life? This type of giving is the same heart attitude of Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3.
in verse 16. It says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Sometimes giving of our time to someone who needs to, needs to talk is very important. Instead of being so busy, we don't listen to that person. We always have something to say. As Pastor said, we're basically always being the knowledge. We're always talking, but we're not listening. And we need to be the one that listens more and talks less. And giving of that talent. Some of you are very talented, but remember, God gave you those abilities. And are you using them to glorify God within the body of believers? Are you using those talents and abilities for Him? And then that cash, that treasure, it's not yours. He gave it to you. No, I made it. I'm, I, I made it. I'm a self-made man. No, God gave you first physical life. He gave you the opportunities of life. He gave you the brain that you have to be able to cultivate that to the level that you're at, to be able to use and build up the things that you are building up today and assessing today. And what are you doing with them? Are you hoarding them? Like the rich man who wanted to build more barns and then the God says, you fool, to, tonight your soul is required of you? And so we need to really think about these things intently. And again, this total surrender, no matter what the circumstances, is just what God wants us to do. Last thing I want you to see is this. Paul's desire for believers then and now is that we should follow the Macedonians' example. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 6 through 8, it says, So we, we Paul, and, Paul and the apostles, were urging Titus, since we had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Ju but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So Paul says, this isn't a command, but it's going to prove where your heart really is. It's going to prove where your heart really is. And then again, the ultimate example of sacrificial giving is seen again in verse 9 in Christ. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so giving like the Macedonians enjoys joyful generosity in spite of your circumstances, giving by faith, and doing this with a strong desire out of your own free will. And again, though, none of this will happen. None of this will happen if you don't first give yourself to God on a daily basis. And I just want to leave that with you today. Really, I want you to ponder these things because I know you're in, you're giving to missions and you're giving to the building program and all these things. And just, if you ever th think and wonder, how should I give? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and you're going to know this is how God wants me to give. This is the proper heart attitude God wants me to have in giving. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time that we can see one of the greatest examples of Christian giving in the New Testament. And I pray that each of us, Lord, would apply this to our lives, that we would just 
not uh, hear this message and blow it off, but we would really apply it to our lives on a daily basis and doing this for your glory and your praise so that souls would be saved and lives would be changed. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.